Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the only thorough Ravenscroft fan podcast where we <laughs> sing about the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Thomas Johnston, and this ancient Egyptian hunk of jerky is my sister, Mary Johnston. Hi, Thomas. You know what I learned about jerky? What, what, what did you learn about jerky? I is feel this like a bit? Is this a bit? Are this is a not bit? a bit. This is not a bit. <laughs> so, as you know... You and I were, true or false, you and I were raised on a esoteric little jerky uh, company's jerky called um, Mingua Brothers, right? Yeah, although I think, I, I can't remember if that's the right pronunciation, but yes. I mean, I haven't seen any of the local commercials in Kentucky for it in a very, very, very long time. But it might be Mingy. I don't know. But it has this, yeah, yeah. like, it has a it has a, a, a peeved-looking bull on the front of it, which describes... wearing like, pants, if I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah, which I think describes, like, 100% of all jerkies, but there you go. But I also I also liked a good Kroger beef stick every now and then too. A you know beef stick is different from jerky. Agree or uh, disagree? But it's, I mean, no, of course, it's very different, different. But it's very like, different. but it, nah, it feeds that same urge though, that same need. Remember that time we had beef snuff? I like I'm derailing your story. Remember that time we bought that beef snuff? Yeah, that was disgusting. That was <laughs> so bad. It was so much worse. It's like so you can pretend you're having dip, but it's beef. <laughs> you ever wish that your dip was more filling? <laughs> you wish that your dip had more macros in it? So here's the deal. Snooze, but it only makes you kind of sick if you swallow it. <laughs> but here's what I've learned. I like jerky that is like bone dry. I don't oh, like yeah. jerky that attempts to, to imply the succulence of steak. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, although I, I, I have been known to enjoy some old trapper from Kroger's beef jerk every now and then. And that has a little bit of that weird moisture, that that strange sheen of oil that kind of pervades it. Hmm. I don't know. Now that I think about it, every time you visit me, I don't know why I don't ask you to bring that jerky. I Do you realize that I mail order that jerky? Oh, man. So, so does that mean you get like an unreasonably large quantity of it? No, no, no. They have pretty reasonable shipping rates and packaging. <laughs> It's like a FedEx envelope. This is not yeah, brought to you by Ming, by Mingua, Mingi, or however it is pronounced, jerky. <laughs> if it was, I probably would know how to pronounce it. We should fix it, fix it and post it. But I would be happy. I would be happy uh, on our new social meds to give them, to, to throw them a bit of a bone because it is damn fine jerky. <laughs> It'll turn out that like, like they and uh, John Kassir are the only two accounts that the Twitter account follows. <laughs> Either that it'll be like, ma'am, this is a child. We are a family we're a company. Family. Yeah, we're a family How company. How dare you bring it up on your smutty little podcast about, about Where people filth? say swears. Well, what are you going to do? Although, I mean, I think we, we deserve some credit for like, I feel like a Tales from the Crypt podcast. There were, you could definitely imagine ones where they're like, boobometer, no boobs in this episode. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because this episode is strictly boobs. And by that, I mean people acting foolish <laughs> and not making much sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. this one is, uh, what is it? Too dull for a, I, uh, this is garbage now. I don't know. This this episode is hard to talk about because it's it's not even enjoyably bad. No. Well, with that, it, well, with that ringing endorsement, All right. So we have um, I'm going to start out by telling you about the personnel of this picture. Oh, maybe we should name the episode to name and shame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they clicked on it, so they know. But this is lower birth, and it's not spelled the way you think it's going to be. It's spelled with an I, not an not, spelled with an E, not an I. Golly gee, like on the Titanic. Oh, wow. Is it about boats? No, it's not. <laughs> it sure isn't. I'm not even sure why it's called that. Presumably, the mummy came over in a boat. I, I yeah. don't know. Uh, and I don't Dr. Know. Dr. Zachary Kling says to Mr. Mr. Sickles <laughs> uh, that uh, so you're a low, you're a lower birth man 
Yeah, but what does that mean? When he says know, that, 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 def- that definitely has a certain kind of like hello sailor kind of energy to it when he says it. Yeah, but it doesn't have any payoff, which right. is a problem. Oh, oh, really? Wow. In this episode? Yeah. Baffling. Well, so the part <laughs> unusual. The directorial mastermind behind this piece is uh a Kevin Yeager? Yager? I can't pronounce sure. jerky or this guy's last name. <laughs> um and he is a classic uh, Tales from the Crypt rags to riches story of a person who's very good at something else and then has two directorial credits to his name, one of which is this episode and the other which is Hellraiser Bloodline, colon Bloodline, which is the fourth Hellraiser movie. I feel like we've seen this before where it's like, this guy's really good at a really good producer. However, he also directed Tales from the Crypt and then... Something from a horror franchise, but an episode, but a, but one of the uh, versions of it that no one cares about. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Arnold the Schwarzenegger, thing, or this person is Arnold Schwarzenegger, or or the one time the person was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, so this person is an outstanding uh, makeup and special effects guy. So he um, brought Freddy Krueger to life in Nightmare on Elm Street Two, and also has been responsible for ch- the first Chucky and all the Chuckies that would come after that. Um, and he also worked on the following uh, Crypt Sibs faves. Uh, he did both Bill and Ted movies, and he also did Face Off, which oh, is a movie oh. you and I think is real funny. Yeah. Um, he also uh, is married to Catherine Hicks, who is uh, the actor that plays Annie on Seventh Heaven. She's she's Reverend Camden's wife and oh. the mother of all mm-hmm. of the seven children. The one who smoked pot that one time. Oh, no. I don't know how her husband will ever forgive her for smoking pot that one time in the past when she didn't know him. That's, <laughs> you know. Seven yeah. heaven. Uh, for a while, I thought that I wanted to do like um, like a like a rip down podcast about seventh heaven, but I realized it would make me go actually crazy. So I'm really glad. Yeah, that might be that it. might be that might be too much of a good thing. It'll just That's... it'll it'll be like um it'll be like if uh, Heart of Darkness was actually written by uh by Kurtz, it would just become that. I would be like, <laughs> I would be like the horror, the horror. Um, so. Uh, it's so that's also written by uh, Fred Decker, um, who is a return uh, for Pete Tales from the Crypt writer. Um, and he's done one episode that we liked, which was all through the house. And then three we didn't like so much. That would be only Sin Deep, the one um, about the sex worker who sells her face and then becomes old. Mm-hmm. The thing from the grave, the one about Terry Hatcher. um getting knocked around and yet somehow is not actually about domestic abuse at the end and then this and we're going to have one more episode out of him so he's going to come back for um, a fifth one season four up called split personality so we'll see if he's a one hit wonder or if he starts to kind of like level out that boat did you know that uh, kevin yager the the director also directed all the wraparound crypt keeper segments for tales from the crypt I didn't know that. I saw some Which, things that were that were baffling about that, but and now that makes sense. Right. So that so that that kind of helps explain why this episode seemed or why this why parts of this episode would be close to his heart. Yes. It also might potentially explain why this episode is not like narratively strong? Question mark. <laughs> I'm really like biting the hand that feeds me. Although I did have a, I did have a sweet little aside for uh, our good old friend Fred because I felt so bad about ripping on most of his episodes, and mm-hmm. that is that he also wrote uh, a movie called Night of the Creeps, which mm-hmm. is like this alien invasion meet '80s like scream queen teen horror flick that is like cut from like the most emblematic of cloths such in such a satisfying way. You know like when you see a movie and you're like, "Oh, this movie's going to be like every movie that you see in like a weird playing silently in a drive-in movie in another horror movie that I'm watching." It is exactly that. It is exactly <laughs> that. It does not disappoint. It is a perfect like scary movie night movie to watch. So he he does do good work. I just don't particularly prefer what he's done thus far. Also, also Fred Decker is an awesome name for someone who would be in like maybe a new metal band or, you know, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Are you suggesting that maybe he just Two went to the wrong line Decker. of work? Decker. Yeah. Um, he's, he's probably also a little bit too old for that. But 
Rounding out this segment, we also have uh, Louis Arquette as Ernest Freely. He is the father of all the Arquette children. Famous He's ones. Papa Arquette. Poppy yeah. Arquette. Poppy Arquette. <laughs> um, so most notably, of course, we saw Patricia Arquette in Foresight a Triangle. Love it. Um, he, which was a much better episode than this. Um, he, so Lewis has been, had kind of a a crazy career. I mean, like he basically is just does like a bunch of one-offs for like um, TV shows, but he's he's worked a lot. Like I think he had mm-hmm. something like 150 um, acting credits to his name. Um, but he's most notably in Little Nicky, which I have never seen. Um, the Great Outdoors, which I have seen, but I don't remember the character he played. Um, <laughs> and did a whole medley of voices for the English dub of Akira, of Akira which I think mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, and finally, the, the cherry on top, the real mwah of what of his acting credits is, he is one of the snitchy FBI agents, Howard Weiler in Tango and Cash. Oh, excellent! So we have we have we have personnel from Face Off and Tango and Cash. In oh, this how movie. can this episode be bad? This will be great. It'll just be like boot guns and face transplants and ski boot jails. It'll, yeah, it'll just be like ski boot jails and boot guns and <laughs> boots. It'll be great. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of footwear in this episode. Maybe a maybe a mouth grenade. Who knows? <laughs> um, it'll be so, it'll be the opposite of a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> Lots of it, pictures of people's shoes, people's <laughs> completely covered feet. <laughs> I thought you meant just like still enjoyable to this day. I thought that's where you were going. Ouch. With it. Um. So uh, then, round it, fi- finally finishing up, we have uh, Jeff uh, Yager as Enoch. Um, the two-faced man. So this is a normal, handsome fellow, actually. Um, he's most famous for starring in um, the original 80s TV series um, V, which, if you recall correctly, is that sci-fi drama about if aliens came to Earth and decided to be Nazis. Wait, is that, um, is that, is that the one where uh, Anonymous has to do terrorism to save Britain? <laughs> it is not. It is not. <laughs> um, Wait, is that... <laughs> No, they did have. They, I think Sci-Fi did a reboot of it. Like no, they did. No, they did. They fully like did. The I, mid oddies, but yeah, I did. I'm not familiar watch it. with V. Yeah, V. Um, but of it's course, for Vendetta. Of course, he is clearly in this role. Like I looked at it, and I was like, it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time, like ten minutes of looking around and be like, why is he in this? It's really weird. Well, he's Kevin's older brother. Oh yeah, I, I assume there was familiar familial connection yeah. there. He is, he's Kevin's older brother. So that's why he's in this. I mean, he's not like, you know, it's usually when you see people in this, like playing characters that require vast amounts of makeup, they're kind of like, that's what they're known for. Sure. Sure. Like the, uh, like the utility monster from, uh, exactly. Exactly. Or like the guy who is like all of the creatures in Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's his deal. He's like a very physical actor. He can handle it. He's able to own it and work it Mm -hmm. and make it look good. Right. This guy is this guy's older brother. I'll leave it at that. Sure. Yeah, they're an artist and a technician. It's like Andy Circus and being like everyone's favorite mocap. Yeah. Um, so would you like to tell us what this episode's about? Sure, that we've been we've to. been maligning. Love springs eternal for Enoch, the abused two-faced man, and Myrna, a mummified slave girl. Curses, thrills, surprises. No, wait, that last part is a lie. Turns out they're the Crypt Keeper's parents for some reason. Backstory you never know you needed. Supernatural promises that don't pay off. It's a real five-star episode. Ding! That's me giving a double thumbs up. Ding! <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, what... what? <laughs> <laughs> what's what, what what's the story what's the moral here what is to be learned i mean there's a ton to be honest with you there is a ton to be learned from this episode but like what is it trying to teach us let's start there i, I mean i think th- this episode i think is supposed to be about um uh, you, you know like like <laughs> don't have slaves <laughs> don't abuse people uh, 
you know, framing people for murder is wrong. Curses are don't mess with curses. Golly don't geez. steal mummies. Don't don't steal a mummy and then don't steal that mummy's necklace. <laughs> Robbing the dead is bad. Um, I you know I think that if you were if you were trying to if you were you can see that what they want to tell here is some story about like uh, you know the human the human that. Enoch possesses deep wells of humanity and is every bit as deserving of happiness as anyone else. And that uh, denying that happiness is evil and will be punished by fate. And also mummies need love. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you want this to be a story about how slavery is wrong. And you want this to be a story about how like, People that are categorized in this as freaks with physical abnormalities that make people want to gawk at them, like that they are humans and they have they have a normal range of human right, emotion right, right. and that is worth wrong. and dignity. Right. Right. And it's wrong to treat them, to objectify them to this extent. I don't and indeed are not we the gazers and gawkers, the true freaks, you know, like one of the. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. One would say that beauty was the beast. <laughs> I would say that this this almost has like the easiest morals. Yeah. Yes. Of anything we've seen thus far, and yet it struggles to land even one of them well. I, I would say this this episode pretty consistently, when given an option to uh, you know like in which direction to go, will always pick the least interesting and most closed off option. Absolutely, absolutely, and I I uh, just. Oof. Yeah, it's not a great. million times oof. You want to talk about you want to talk about freak shows? Let's talk about freak shows. Um, let's also agree that frequently they're identified as freak shows, and that that would not be the preferred word we would use to describe people with uh, uh, different uh, physical abnormalities, physical attributes. Yes, um, I, it is kind of weird to me. I would agree or disagree. There are certain flavors of horror and certain flavors of horror fans. And certain flavors of people who are like kind of like steampunky burlesque gothic horror fans who think freak shows are awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it's like old. It's like old timey, but also horrifying. Yes, right. Which, which is you know sort of a sort of a weird look, possibly a, a bad look. It's hard to uh, it's hard to litigate the past like that. Um, but but th- th- this has been a I think fairly fertile um, subject for for horror quote-unquote i mean as 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 maybe not originally but the 1932 movie freaks um i think is 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 sort of still an important film um and then uh revisited semi-recently maybe dating myself the american horror story freak show episode so this is still this is still kind of a a flavor and genre of of horror movies yeah well but absolutely and then the thing that both so I think that the the movie Freaks is spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's a spectacular movie. Um, I think that American Horror Story has like good ideas, but then like flubs it as most Amer- of the American Horror Story. I was, I was series that, that do. describes every season yeah. I've watched of that. Yeah, like it just gets too diffuse, and then like the end, like every, the, like the mm-hmm. pieces are all too far away from each other at that point to be braided back together, and right. like the you can't yeah. yeah like that's just how the stories go but even though even it lands kind yeah. of like this twist that you're supposed to have that we know just like just like if you're watching like a slasher movie and you see the young ingenue you know that she's going to be the final girl like you have we have these like established patterns and when you know you're going to go into like a freak show situation you know that we're going to have this twist that's displayed to us in various ways, but it, it always is the same of first you see first you get to gawk at someone who has physical abnormalities that are sometimes scary or extreme. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there is going to be a moment of there's going to be a transformation where you begin seeing them as people and and have like like a, a wide range of human emotions and you start caring about them and identifying with them beyond their physical attributes. And then you see the gawkers as the real horror. Like the horror is that to allow others to gawk at your physical form as a spectacle is a horrifying thing to find yourself in. And especially Mm -hmm. since usually it's not really like you having the agency to allow it. You're usually forced into it either by a person 
or a circumstance beyond your control. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, like, that's the actual horror of the situation. And this Mm -hmm. doesn't really seem like, like, I can't pinpoint what this episode thinks is horrifying, like, what the horror element is. And I would say even, even the weakest episodes that we've seen so far, I can do that for. Like, I can place it, and this really loses me because I can't. And it's not that this episode is not pleasant. I mean, Enoch is a is a is is a person with a very unfortunate, you know, fictional gross deformity where it looks like he has two faces and he he does seem to he he at least does not seem to be able to speak and behaves in a way, whether it's from abuse or or his own like mental capacity. He seems he seems bestial. He's actually he kind of seems like um, a lot of bad portrayals of Quasimodo a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's always he's, like, you know, there, there's always a man with a whip kind of like, st- like, like uh, glowering over him. And he's, you know, scrambling to get away and he lives in a cage and stuff like that. And that, 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 that I guess, is horrifying. But and I'm sure that this episode is trying to show us that he has deep wells of humanity. But when you make a character that's like this and he can't talk and you don't have a lot of time to tell the story, it's hard to show that. Yeah. I mean, know? the thing that I think lands the best is... Um, when, um, so he's, so basically the situation is we don't really know, we don't know where he came from or we don't really, we don't know anything about his backstory at all right. or even his perception of his situation. We know, we know right. that he's afraid and we know that he is like sad and that he is treated badly. So we feel bad right. for him. We are sympathetic to him, but we never, we never turn towards understanding him enough to empathize with him, and that's bad. It's like it right, it right. ruins the story. And, and but, it's and, and it's a it's 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 a it's a mistake in the way the story is told. Yeah, and so he's he's owned quote unquote by this guy, Mister Sickles, who then rents him out to the freak show, which also felt like like a crazy like convoluted, unnecessary, like, are you just trying to shoehorn characters in here? Like, why is yeah. it just owned by, like, well, why? But in some sense, maybe that is necessary because you need people who can talk to each other. And if Enoch can't talk, which again, why he can't talk, I don't, I, as, I don't as a, know. as yeah. a decision, right? Like you're kind of waiting. I, I, during this episode, I was waiting for there to be, you know, after he's shown in the cage for him to be like, you know, I know what you're thinking or, you know, you, you want yeah, him to you like, wanted him to be like, you want him to kind of like X-Men. have an aside yeah. and show. Yeah. Right. And show that he like, you know, is reading Shakespeare in his free time or whatever, or the scene that is in every show like this, as you alluded to, which is like where you find out that, you know, that, that Tom Thumb is married to the bearded lady and that like everybody's like playing cards and like, or that just he's just a normal, normal he's just right. a normal guy. Like he's yeah. like, like sits down and has a beer at the end of the day. Like, right. right. His- or that like the cage is for show, although that would, I, I, whatever, like, yeah. Yeah. You, you, they you make want- him fully a sympathetic and not an empathetic character. And that's a problem. Yeah. The only time I did feel like they, they knew what they needed to do is when um, Sickles, the, the guy who's like, I own you. And he's like throwing him in cages and whipping him. And it's just like yeah. generally a real bad dude um, notices that he has noticed the mummy girl next door and is looking at her longingly pining after her. And he mocks him and is like, you think you're normal enough to deserve a family, a normal life, a family. Right. Yeah. Which I also thought was really funny because like I'm like, well, so all of these people are like carnival workers like. We have had no example that they have normal lives either, which which would have like which then could have potentially been like an interesting twist where it's like, no, you're in show business. You're going to be a freak and a weirdo like me because I can't like have these things in my life either. But like there wasn't even really anything like that. I thought that that's where the um, the Dr. Kling piece was going right. with it with like being like and if you touch her her necklace you're castrated I was like oh maybe this is gonna be like a weird meditation on show business and procreation um, but it doesn't well, what's land. funny about this though is remember Zach remember Dr. Kling who is the only who Maybe not the only, but is easily the best performance in this episode. Oh, it's the only performance I enjoy in this. Yeah, like yeah, I was yeah. so happy he's, when he's, he he's showed kind up. Of, he's he's great and weird, and we can talk about him in a second. But you see him playing cards with the I can't remember what they're called the littles the the family of little people, and yeah. you see he's playing cards with like the son and the the dad in that family or whatever. So you're kind of like, oh yeah, you guys understand how these stories are supposed to go. That like you're supposed to see that you know yeah these people are you know it's half of it's a work and you know all that kind of stuff. So. You know, people presumably kind of have lives, so it's 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 pretty bungled. Um, 
I do think that we do have to give at least some kudos to this episode to say that that, that no matter how certainly people entered these agreements um, to perform like this many times um, in many cases you'll read stuff that's almost like apologizing for for this and that you know this was for some of them the only way they could make a living and things like that for many um, people yeah i mean like yeah, this yeah. i don't think was like like i don't think many people who participated in freak shows were thrown into a cage at the end of the day like right, that's right, not right right, right. That, but to but, the, uh, but to, yeah. at the same time guys like pt barnum were exploitive monsters who yeah. you know you know the, these these people were not given a fair shake um uh, but but you know at least it's talking about t- talking about this in explicit ownership and slavery terms is is uh, at least interesting or at least being like this is wrong <laughs> it's wrong to treat people like this but that's a real low that's a real low bar to hurdle it's a real low berth to step over mm-hmm. um i yeah to me it seems like if you wanted to make if you wanted to make a horror movie and you're like, I'm going to make a crazy horror movie about rape culture. This is going to be so edgy. And you decided to make the main rapist like a crazy wild animal, like a, a wild animal, a man who broke out of a mental institution, who leaps out and grabs women and rapes them in bushes. You'd be like, I mean, OK, yeah, that's scary. And that's like a thing that we as a culture have as an idea for sure. However, if you want to make like a point with this, it would be way better if you made like the evil person, like a handsome guy they went on a date with who then raped somebody like that's like way more interesting. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. we have this idea that, you know, you have you have people getting objectified in like the, the most extreme sense of the word and and you know, and gawked at and treated treated as not human beings. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's easy to imagine at the end of the day, they just get put in a cage. But like, that's not real. That's not Mm -hmm. interest. That's not truly interesting. That's further um, fetishizing the situation. Isn't it so much more horrifying that people like P.T. Barnum profited knowing that these these human beings like had normal lives like we're normal mm-hmm. people like that's way creepier it's like it's like if you buy into this idea that like slave owners were like yeah i mean black people are just dumb and they're not really humans they knew that they were humans they saw right. them they and just they, and they sold their own offspring who they knew were their kids into slavery right was... like they knew like it's yeah, way yeah, yeah. it's that's way right. way worse like they didn't they didn't buy what they were selling they they used it as right. an excuse to do horrible things to other people that is mm-hmm. the case here and to then to undermine that by by making him such like a beast is is so dumb. <laughs> you just agree, can't get over it. And he's completely deprotagonized too, um, as, as yeah. you're saying. But I mean, even he 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 can't even uh, you know castrate and murder his 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 owner uh, to achieve freedom without the outside agency of some sort of some sort of ancient Egyptian curse. He can't. Yeah. He, he doesn't. He doesn't even get to do that. We don't um, even get to see him do that. Like we yeah. don't get to see him murder a guy that we know whips him on a regular basis. Like that's so crazy. Yeah. Yes. We don't even there's, have the catharsis of that. There's even okay. So the the other character in this uh, episode is 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 the mummy Myrna, mm-hmm. who is a 16 year old Egyptian slave girl who rejects the pharaoh's advances and is. I guess like forcibly mummified or something like that. Buried um, alive, which right, would not, right, right. which would actually not turn her into a muffy, mummy. But okay, yeah, sure. Because mummification <laughs> is a process that you pretty much have to be dead for, since they need to drag your brain out through your nose. But okay, right, right. Yeah, but okay, right, right, sure, sure. But um, uh, I was one. Did you? <laughs> this is this is embarrassing to admit, but the first time I watched it, I was like, "Where's the actress credit for Myrna?" <laughs> no, that drove me bananas. So. I feel like this is like this to me is the ultimate sign. I know we need to give them we give them credit for this, but like I don't think the people writing this story or directing the story or putting together the story have like a firm, purposeful hand on the parallels that they want to draw between Enoch's existence as a fr- as a freak in this freak show and a mummy from Egyptian like from. <laughs> from Egypt who was explicitly a slave like they should it's all there you can like see it but mm-hmm. like they don't seem to like have the follow through and to make me feel like it is it is there and that makes me also feel furious yeah it's like a gestures towards it so 
I mean, so so breaking it down, um, number one, wh- why do you have a Chekhov's mummy who you're like, she's going to move, she's going to walk around, she's going to, and, and she just the, the best you get her opening her eyes. Um, I'm going to ask a really naive question. Is Myrna played by an actress or is Myrna a puppet? I, the, I, I watched, think she's a puppet. Yeah. When I watched it again, I think that she is not a person or she's not, she's a, a puppet. not a human. There's not a human in there. You know, she's a puppet. I think so, too. But again, so again, the, w- with it making all the wrong choices, you know, right. We have a mummy. She, we know she's going to come alive at some point. All we see is her open her eyes. We never see her move. What a wrong choice. You're a su- you're a supernatural show. You want to see that mummy like. Like, like, you know, go crazy on the freak show, right? Or like or stagger. Actually, I mean, I wanted to see her like twist someone's dick off. Or or even or even you don't even have to or even subvert it a different way where we see that Enoch is basically, you know, is basically like like a monster man or something. But at night he, he, he comes alive and is gentle and sweet and beautiful. And Myrna comes alive and she's beautiful and sweet and gentle with him. And they have you, you have some sort of scene, yeah. a wordless scene where we see them come alive and it can be that could. I, I mean, my hair is standing on it. That, that could be really creepy, but also really affecting where you yeah. see they sort of have this secret life that is that is tenderness. And maybe maybe it's all in Enoch's head. Even it doesn't even have to explicitly be real. But, you know, it kind of explains it more than there's there's there, there, there's a bestial man who's in love with with a woman who's been dead for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Like, it's weird to mock him for loving the mummy because you want a normal life and you're like dude that's not it's not normal that's not uh, yeah i don't think that enoch is like choosing something super normal i mean she's not alive as far as we know right right so i mean which is also like a funny aspect of this that's why i was like why are they so fixated on like i mean i know why they're so fixated on family because this is about who right gives birth like these are the parents of the crypt keeper so that's why they keep like bringing it back but like it's like so shoehorned in there that it's distracting like where um when Kling is describing the mummy he's like you know she was buried at 16 murdered before she could have a normal life have children and you're like wait that's not like the first thing i'd land on there i think it'd be like <laughs> she was murdered that's terrible and she was like very young <laughs> like that's enough like so he talks about it and then you also have like the mocking like oh you're in love with her you want to have a baby with her you're like that's weird also because you know she's a like a dead mummy like she's a right, body yeah. Yeah, like yes. that doesn't make any sense and then the whole like castration subplot so the deal is that cling come to find out actually stole myrna probably doesn't have a doctorate and <laughs> she has this and he stole her because she has this jeweled necklace on that if you take it off you'll be you'll be castrated you'll lose your family jewels get it get it and he bought her hired someone to take the necklace off that guy got castrated and now he's selling her to this which, guy which, which, which let's be clear also somehow means that the necklace didn't come off it, it's yeah it's, the it, whole thing is so right, right. weird. Grizzly death. I don't know. Like, yeah, the castration part of it feels like hyper specific and also w- would be a bad thing to happen to you, but also is not universally fatal. No. And also, like, the way it's described, you're like, so does she like, does she like twist <laughs> she gra- your yeah, She grabs twist and your, it never lets go. Yeah. Does she like twist your balls off, dude? Or is it just like your like your sperms all die? Like, because right. it could go either way. <laughs> right, right. Like, like In which how case, it's infertile. Like, oh, this curse. How, this like, curse that affects me, and I find out two and a half years later when I finally have gotten serious and we're trying to settle down. Oh, it wasn't like, my narrow urethra, it was an ancient Egyptian curse. I love that backstory for Hank Hill, by the way. That sounds great. Um, which is, and also, what also made me upset about it was I really like. Um, I really like the Zachary Kling character. I love how it's performed. Um, like it's, it's, it's like by far the best, most magnetic performance in this. And you like, no, he's not a doctor. You know, he's a con man. Yes. Yes. But he also has this like little edge of devil in his performance. That's, that's this, this, this anticipates a question I have for you. So, so let's, maybe we need to back up for a second. So there are, there are like three kind of unnecessary men in this. There's Ernest Feely, who's Papa Arquette, who like is the carnival barker. And he has like a little bit of like cranky carnival barker grandpa energy and then there's or maybe like maybe great uncle energy then there's mr sickles who basically is sort of like a like a like a mean country simpleton a little bit i don't know he's just he like he seems like the kind he's like of a guy, prospector he's like, yeah know. like he seems like the kind of guy that you would like 
like your family would go buy a Christmas tree from his Christmas tree lot every year, but you also would be like, I don't really want to talk to him. He's yeah, scary. He, yeah, right. Yeah, has has a lot of like probably has like the Turner Diaries somewhere in his house. Yeah, yeah. like right. like high like a high level of touch with the public, but absolutely shouldn't. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. And then then Doctor Zachary Kling, who is a who is a, again a classic sort of nineteenth century character where he's. He's British and vaguely aristocratic and is, of course, a professor uh, here with a mummy. And, you know, he elicits he or he gets Sickles to sort of be his agent for Myrna. And even Sickles sort of points out that this doesn't like make a ton of sense. Um, but Kling surprises him in his in his uh, like caravan trailer yeah, where he lives and is like, you're a lower birth man, which, again, sounds like it would be kind of a if you know what I mean. Um, is it is the wagon riding low? Like, what is it? Mean? Oh, I assume I assume it means like you sleep on the lower bunk. Lower birth. <laughs> yeah. Lower yeah birth. Well, you're oh, OK. Yeah. But but also, lower, but also uh, right. It it's a double it, pun because it's it, lower birth. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It literally means low bed. Yeah. Right. I don't know when. OK. Anyway, so here's my question. When Kling showed up, were you like, is this guy the devil? Because he does that, he does it, and yeah. And how much better would that be? Again, it's like promise. You're like, so much they're writing better. this episode. They're like, we got the, we got this devilish Englishman who really has no idea who who has a nonsensical reason to be involved, and we're even going to highlight that. Could he be evil or supernaturally bad? Yes, yeah. no. Ah, we're going to go with no. That's that's no. We're just going to have him die via is, hedge This clippers. is boring. Yeah, we'll have him die for no reason. Also, I thought it was hilarious that Sickles is so mad. Our Sickle is so mad. That Kling stole this mummy like you lied to me. You're like, wait, you don't think this guy just has a mummy for totally above board reasons and wants you to be his agent because he has to lie low for reasons that would not involve breaking the law. You also want to be like, I'm sorry, Mr. You, Sickles. You, you, you have a slave. You yeah, horsewhip like, him. Don't like, you think, a don't, times. don't you think the constabulary is going to be concerned about your slave? Like what? <laughs> I don't know. That whole thing is just so yeah, weird. Yeah. And then um, another like Tales from the Crypt trope is played out here where Kling is like the most easily stabbable person alive. Oh, yeah. It's like it's completely accidentally stabbed. <laughs> like he's a water balloon full of blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like like that hedge clippers like goes into him as if he is a like softened stick of butter. Like, which again, which again, this is more just... examples where there's stuff you don't have to do. Right. Like you can just have if you even think that you need Mr. Sickle and it can't just be Kling. Um, you could you could even have them be rival agents in the company, you know, like Kling has the mummy and Sickle has the, you know, as Sickle is to the is to Enoch. So Kling is to Myrna and they could be like feuding. They could fight about money. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like if we want if we're going in, the Sickle is a bad guy, which he like clearly is. He can just murder Kling for, you know, like totally selfish reasons. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like one of these like, whoa, whoa kind of things. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Like, have, like, what about this is horrifying? Nobody, this is an episode of Tales Script, and nobody gets murdered purposefully. What is that yeah. about? Yes. Not yes. what I signed up for. Not what I signed up for. Um, I also think that it's interesting. So, on the topic of Myrna, what, and I know that this is me bringing politics, like, my modern politics to this story, which is from the 50s via the 90s. Right. So. Set in the. 18. <laughs> yeah, set in the the past, <laughs> the the carnival blocker past. Um, For just I, one nickel. I feel like the like further for so like right like you should draw the irresistible comparison to a to Enoch and a literal slave in terms of experience. You absolutely should do that. But then to go that like to to bungle that is horrifying to then go even further and never make her feel human like not even hiring an actress to play her no 100%. and and like and as to your point like not having any sort of like fun follow through where she like you actually get to see her like walk up mm-hmm. like further like wake up and like walk around further denies her of any agency she can have right. so like why like why can't we have a like the, the the way the story needs to be told is to have two beings who are objectified in this very extreme sense right and denied agency end up consensually choosing to love each other that right. is like what needs to happen here and it absolutely doesn't and it's infuriating yeah yeah and, and then you have the liberatory effect of love and then family and you realize that like family and love and kinship is i mean in a sense the most primitive form of or the most basic form of solidarity and that stands up to 
the oppression and imprisonment and yes yeah, deeply right. a, a yes. deeply human action like this is something we need and are drawn right. to and do we are yes. not things exactly. yeah right but except except for Myrna who's sort of like I'm I'm not saying that a dead body is it's it's disrespectful to display her as a circus freak but also if she is just a body she's just a body she's right not- my moral code has a bigger issue with the fact that she was like removed probably under illegal illegal <laughs> circumstances via colonialism then i have an issue with us actually looking at her <laughs> she doesn't belong in a she doesn't belong, need to be stolen by a riverboat gambler she needs to be stolen by a british explorer and put in right, a museum well, so right like that's exactly <laughs> this is the wrong kind of paying money yeah, to that's my issue, her. But if, like right like i don't i don't yeah. like i have issues with it but like i'm not i don't have issues with like having people on display at museums i'm like how did they get here that's what i have issues with mm-hmm. No, 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 yeah. no. Sure. hundred percent. hundred percent. There's there's this has that thing where you can see they're sort of making gestures at depth and you're like, maybe I can kind of decode what maybe you think you're trying to say, but it's just not. Yeah. It's a big mess. Or it's not even a big mess, actually. And this is just kind of lazy. They just don't do any of the work. And so it's limp, it's limp like whoever, whatever that dude that Kling hired to remove the necklace, but apparently couldn't undo a clasps um, castrated penis. Right. Yep. Right. Yes. Mm, I wonder. I wonder what you're. What, what you'll be rating this after? <laughs> no, I have. I have something else. Um, <laughs> I have something else. Yeah. I don't think we can have. Pe- I don't think we have you- penis icons on our <laughs> on our family web. This is a family. This is a family. It's at least a family podcast. website. No. Um, <laughs> this is a family website. You want to talk about? Uh, you want to talk? You, you want to talk about kind of a good portrayal of this? A I good alternate to. portrayal. You want to talk? You want to talk Cohen Brothers here for a second? Yep. Something near and dear to our Norwegian hearts. I am a man of constant sorrow. <laughs> Soggy bottom boys. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk Battle to Buster Scruggs. Let's talk meal ticket. So I think this this it doesn't touch on the exact same themes, but I think this is a masterful rendition of the idea of denying personhood to people who are differently abled and the naked and horrible exploitation of those people. Um, uh, the the limbless actor who speaks eloquently and beautifully and clearly is an intelligent and talented person who's keeper. I don't know what do you what do you call what what is Liam Neeson's character's? I mean, if role? I was sort of impresario, if I were going to um, if I was going if it didn't end the way it did, I guess I would refer to him as like benefactor or agent. Right, but yeah, the way yeah, it does yeah, end, yeah. exploiter, um, owner, <laughs> uh, monster, yeah. keeper, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. yeah, yeah. But it's, but I mean, anyway. So right, when you see him set up, it's cool, and then it, what is what is he the the wingless nightingale or something or wingless? Uh, there's mm-hmm. a songbird reference in there somewhere. I think it's nightingale because he's supposed to be like Florence Nightingale. Yeah, yeah. You see the Ozymandias speech, and you're like, yeah, I remember this from Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um. And then when you see them eating after that and they're not even really making eye contact and he's just kind of feeding them and you're like, they're going to talk, right? Yeah. Like they're going to be like, oh, big crowd. You're and like, they don't. And you're like, well, that yep. feels weird. Maybe there's. Maybe, maybe this isn't okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, is this, is this fine? This is probably fine. Maybe they just, maybe they just said everything they wanted to say. Maybe this is like two, maybe they're. Maybe they complete. Maybe this is one of those stories where they like kind of complete each other. Like one guy has all the showbiz, and the other guy is like all the practical talents and everything. But when he, um, if you haven't figured it out by then, I feel like when Liam Neeson like goes to see the the the, the madam in the brothel or whatever the the sex worker, and like kind of almost forgets to turn turn around. Well, and the, the way it's the played, and then later well, she's the way like, it's played because yeah. he's like laying in front of that campfire, and he's like singing and clearly like mm-hmm. drunk and feeling like, you know, like close and warm and good, and he's like, you know what, I feel so good. Right. I'm gonna go visit my favorite sex worker. Yep. And so he like right. straps up and like has him in like a backpack kind of situation. And you're like, and you get this chair. Yeah. yeah. And you it's get like the sense that they're like, he's going to go and they're both going to have sex with a sex worker. Like, that's what you think is going right, to happen. Right, yeah. And then when you see him set him down, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. And then like. Well, and even. Yeah. And even then the sex worker is like, so you want to like, you know, like your buddy? And he's like, nah, no, nah, he's fine. And there's we'll even fine. sort of a reference <laughs> of like one time we tried this. And that was, I'm never, that yeah. was a bad use of my money. And you're like, oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh. 
yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And anyway, it, 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 anyway, I feel like it's it's great. It's dark and it's weird, and um, they do a great job. There's a lot of this. This does a really good job with the nonverbal acting in contrast to what we when we watched for TFTC. Um, but then when he gets the when he when he buys the counting chicken, you're like, this ain't this ain't gonna be good. And you're like, this is how he got this is how he got the the actor too yeah. probably. <laughs> And then you see him, right? You see the river and he t- drops the rock in and you're like, oh, no. And the actor can tell. And then Leo Neeson, like, gives him a little smile, like, hey, buddy. Hey, don't worry about it. And then it just smash cut to him driving away with only the chicken. Oh, oh my God. What a gut punch. I would. It's dark I and terrible. I loved this and thought it was, like, such a so good. So good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and made so many smart choices. I, I'm going to give it the highest compliment I can give anything and say that it felt like something Flannery O'Connor would write. It's the highest yeah, compliment yes. I can pay any any piece of media. It's just... It, the thing mm-hmm. that it does that's so good is it puts you, the viewer, on the ropes where you start mm-hmm. making excuses for Liam Neeson and wanting it really badly to be okay because the humanity of um, the actor is so clear to you and, the, his, and his talent and mm-hmm. his intelligence and his vulnerability in in the fact that he has no arms mm-hmm. or legs right like so you feel mm-hmm. yeah. so strongly for him you can't allow yourself to believe that he is at the mercy of this this guy so you want the guy to be his friend or you want it to be okay or like you start apologizing for it in your yes. mind and it, they just keep like giving you more and more and more so that you know that it's not okay and then to have the to have yeah. him to have him not only like think of this as like when the reason he buys the chicken is because the chicken has a bigger crowd than the actor. Right. And it kind of seems like, I mean, like you kind of see the crowds dwindling over time. Right. And we don't really know how long, mm-hmm. how like yeah. the time period for the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. So sure. it might be that he's like coming back to the same town. So they've seen him before and now this is new, but you see him like mentally doing the math and being like, well, like this guy costs a lot to feed and he's like work and I have to mm-hmm. hold him while he pees and that chicken over there can count and people are paying more money to see it and I won't have to do any of those things for that chicken. <laughs> like, right? Mm-hmm. So the caregiving... Yeah. And, and, and he's not conflicted at all. Yeah, it's it's horrifying because we, we, we see him holding him to pee and everything. You're like, surely this degree of closeness yes. and dependence would build would build empathy and, and, and like healthy closeness. But I don't, Liam Neeson doesn't hate the actor. The actor is just a, just a piece of meat as a means to an end. He replaces him the same way he would replace him. If he was like a, like a trained dog or something. Maybe. maybe yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Know. Even that probably is a little bit too humanizing. Um, uh, but you know, right. It's sort of like, how can you feed, how can you feed someone who's completely dependent on you and, and also just, have absolutely no empathy or closeness or feelings of responsibility or well, and that last scene them. works so well too because the actor like already knows there's nothing he can say. Like, so you realize, I think, in that moment yeah. that he also fully understands. Like, you kind of you want it to be because you see also the audience go through a transformative experience when they view him. So they see him, and initially everybody gasps, but then you see him you know, performing soliloquies and classic texts and it's, and people are moved by it genuinely. Yeah, right. And so like yep, it yep. moves. So he, he takes them on the journey where he's like, yep, you can look at my body. It's different from yours in a way that you were going to find scary, but now I'm going to demonstrate to you that I am a, an excellent performer and you're going to, and I'm going to make you weep and I'm going to make you laugh and I'm going to take you, you're going to, you're going to look past that because I am so, I am so human. I am so raw and so talented. Right. And to then have Liam Neeson not feel that. And the guy know that Liam Neeson doesn't feel that to that certain extent. The actor knows that he doesn't feel that to a certain extent, such that he doesn't even protest when he knows he's about to just get thrown into a river like a rock. Whoa. <laughs> yep. Well, and also, and also, right. You also, it also like extends backwards. and realize, Oh, right. This guy who can captivate people, this voice realizes that it hasn't, that it doesn't work on Liam Neeson and it hasn't, or maybe he tried in the past. It doesn't work. It's never worked in the whole, in the whole yeah. vignette we see. Which yeah. So like if you had seen him like begging for his life or like trying to make conversation with Liam Neeson, 
all of that would be you would have been primed for that and you would understand that and mm-hmm. you would then switch to sympathy as opposed to empathy in that moment because you would feel mm-hmm. you'd be like yeah. oh like he's just a he's the most vulnerable among us and oh what a poor what a poor thing as opposed to just being like oh my god if i was in the situation b- bone chilling right yeah 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 <laughs> coen brothers are good Except for Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar was pretty bad. bad. I also didn't <laughs> super care for Burn After Reading, although I wonder if it's aged well. Oh, yeah. Well, no, you know, in a sort of a, the sort of post-intelligent state, or as we get more and more ideas. No, no, no. About, I probably, oh, it's probably worth a revisit. Watch. What, I would, what I definitely wholeheartedly recommend is instead of listeners viewing this episode of Tales from the Crypt Lower Birth, they should instead <laughs> watch the, at least that section of the Ballard of Buster's Krugs. Yeah, yeah. So how do you feel, Mary, about all of the questions that were answered, all the questions you had about the keeper and who he is and where he comes from and where he lives and why he does what he does? Perhaps perhaps when we did a Christmas novelty album uh, episode in the past, you wondered aloud to me what the crypt keeper's past was and what okay. he did when he was alive well this episode answers it, all of no, that for you how do you it, how do you feel coming out doesn't first of all and second of all <laughs> i asked what the what is a crypt keeper which is a different question <laughs> than any of the ones it's it's half two-faced man half okay so mummy? i basically had zero questions about his backstory coming into this i wondered often what he was supposed to be but i don't need a backstory for this it could just be like a label and that would have been fine um mostly i was wondering if he was once alive and then died and then became a crypt keeper or if he was a ghoul that was my main question yeah, is he is he uh, is he an undead this person? This does is he not answer something? that at all. Yeah, I still don't know. I mean, he's probably I mean, a ghoul, like he wasn't alive and then he died. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that that baby, that baby with no nose. I mean, yeah. it looks pretty. I mean, pretty, but pretty still, keepery. he's supposed to be half two faced man, half mummy. So he is kind of a man, but he's also he's kind of a dead man. Like that's weird. He's like half ancient Egyptian. That's but those that's things are baller. both two human beings, so that doesn't really make sense for him to be just a straight yeah, up. No, it ghoul. makes it makes no sense. Like, and his parents are dead, and he's in the same room that we see him in. So does he, does he never leave? How does he know about pop culture? Where does that weird house castle thing that that we go through with all, all the right. little doors, and it's like MST three K. Wait, did, did somebody just build that on top? Number one. That? So, right. That question is not answered for me. My second question, is he human sized? Still not answered. We don't know. I don't know. What is <laughs> what is the size of a half two faced man, half mummy? We don't know. Weird. Um, yeah. And then. Right. So I think I was a little slow on the uptake. I didn't realize it was the exact same room that that cave, which, by the way, was also mm-hmm. like such a poor decision. Like if you want to show. If you want to show that these, um, that these people have have a life, yeah, don't, don't put, put them in, them in a, like cave, a like stinking cave. Like, why did you? It, or 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 show it having some parody of family life. Yeah, but or the like, first thing know, the guy does is he walks in, he's rally. like, "Oh, it reeks in here. Like someone's dead." And then like they're look at those dead freaks over there yeah and i was like the cops are like uh there's something you should see like they basically are just like they're basically like we can't let this like keep you up at night here are you two freaks they're dead like what is what is that i did love okay one thing i did like i did like that the sheriff is wearing like the kind of uh policeman's helmet that like what are the um the comedy duo where there's the fat guy and the skinny guy oh um um laurel and hardy yeah the police, the police chief or sheriff or whatever is wearing like a lore, like the kind of police helmet that someone who would be chasing Laurel and Hardy or like Billy Clubby guys who are trying to steal pies to steal from James Adobe and kind of a might and die the gristle kind of costume. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's and, a, and I it's it a yakety sax yeah, cop for cannot sure. take him seriously. No, 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 like, no. I feel like the episode doesn't know that it's funny. <laughs> They're just like, no, this is historically accurate. Yeah. (laughs) This is what a policeman in 1870 St. Louis would wear. How dare you, (laughs) sir, think this is funny? Yeah. I'm sorry. Do you think the police are funny? It's also weird. It's also weird because you're like, wait, the mummy got pregnant. Wait, the mummy can like move around. (laughs) Wait, the mummy can give birth. Is she alive? Is she dead now? 
Is the Crypt Keeper just a poor little widowed boy? They also, I asked the, um, Mr. Feely and the cop don't see the little Crypt Keeper baby, right? He's just kind of like over to the side, like, hey, and I'm here too. Okay, so I have exact, I have one way to fix this episode. It wouldn't fix it entirely because there are too many problems. But wouldn't it be amazing if it went hyper meta? And it goes, and you see everything. Everything folds the same way. Okay. And then at the very, very end, when you cut to the to the closing segment with the Crypt Keeper, it zooms out. And you realize that he is in a haunted house attraction reading ghost stories to literal children. The kitties that he is talking about are there, like in front oh, of yeah, him yeah, in a semicircle. Yep, yep. At a fair owned by Ernest Feely, that Feely stole him from that cave and pushed him into slavery just as he did with his family. And it's a story about cycle of human trafficking and horror. And that we are, we the people, are now going to the freak show. Wouldn't that be a way better ending? Yeah, that would be awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Or even if they don't have to go meta, just pull back and Mr. Feely is like the director of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I love your idea. I love it. I, I'm kissing my fingers like I'm in a, I'm in a mafia movie. Mwah, mwah. Yeah, right? It'd be so much better. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Again, this is the thing where you like, okay, right. So what is the Crypt Keeper's past? Well, he what is was he once alive? Is he now dead? Did he have a past? Oh, he was born to two nonverbal circus freaks in a, one of whom is a dead mummy in a cave where he has perhaps never left, where he continues to live forever. <laughs> um, did he have a past? Was he like some, you know, Catskills comedian? And that's why his he has all these bad gimmicks. No, he's always been there. Again, they choose the most boring. It's finding out about the Crypt Keeper's past was like solo. Only I cared even less about what I was learning. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like it answered questions I didn't have in a way I didn't enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) That's so bad. Yes. Ugh. Ugh. All right. Are you ready to rate this sucker? Ugh. Yes. Yes, I am. All right. You ready? Do you want me to go first? Uh, if you want to, sure, go for it. Ladies first. Um, so for all the reasons above, I don't really think I need to like rehash necessarily to justify that I'm giving this one exactly one out of five um, cages, which turn us into a prisoner of our own storytelling. <laughs> um, I just I I felt like I was in the cage watching this. I have, I have one of those, but it's a cage of my own insecurities. Yeah, of course. Of course. We all do. That's that's the universal cage that we as humans find ourselves in. <laughs> We're all in the same cage. Some of our cages are bigger than others, though. <laughs> my, These cage, people... my cage has a little TV I can watch sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> my cage is, like, pretty dope. The, the people who put this together should consider, should have smaller cages, I think. They should have... <laughs> They should have more insecure or maybe larger cages to hold more of their insecurities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not great. Not great. I uh, I agree with you. I give this one one goofy police helmet for all the reasons that we have discussed. Um, kind of too bad. Uh, Zachary Kling was fun. Oh, something else. Just a, just a couple final parting parting shots. Kling, Sickle, Feely. These guys have great names and you're like, are they, is there going to be some meaning here? No, nope, yeah. I don't think so. Nope. 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 It's like it's uh it's a misuse of Chekhov's uh castration, if you ask me. Yep. I do like that the in the bumpers the crypt keeper describes this as a real nursery crime that was cute, and he says it's the origin of his own favorite horror hero. So he's his own favorite horror <laughs> hero. I mean, really honestly, if you get up in the morning and you're not your own favorite horror hero, I don't know what to tell you. You should learn to love yourself. Let's get into some Brene Brown and then you can become your own favorite horror hero. <laughs> The other thing I, I wanted to say is when this episode starts and they play carnival music and I was watching it and I was like, this doesn't even feel weird to me. I've been watching a lot of Tales from the Crypt. A lot of these episodes just start off with carnival, with calliope music. I had the same exact thought. I was like, maybe they saved some money by just like uh, using the using the same like nine lives cat set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually the same piece of music. They just chop it differently. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, What's your rating? Oh, I saw. So I give it one one goofy police helmet. Oh, one goofy police helmet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No. One goofy police helmet down. Next week, we shift gears and turn our attention to a rear window situation where a murderous physician is placed in charge of the only witness to his crimes. <laughs> More like 
hypocritic oath, am I right? <laughs> In episode 15 of season two, mute witness to murder. What's their what's their deal with making all their protagonists not speak? It's a <laughs> weird choice. All right. Um, but speaking of speaking, uh, what if people want to talk to us? Where how can they do that? Well, we are launching into the brave and abusive world of social media. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at Crypt Sibs. That's Crypt as in Tales from the and Sibs, S-I-B-S as in siblings. Um, or feel free to direct any hate mail or personal remarks to cryptsibs at gmail.com. We're also Wait. on. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. We're also on Instagram at crypt underscore creepers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you as always for listening to uh, Crypt Creepers. What's the name of our podcast? Crypt <laughs> Tales <Creepers>. from the Crypt Sibs. <laughs> <laughs> Crypt says save America. Yeah, Mary, Mary watches Tales from the Crypt, and I'm here too. <laughs> Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the platform of your choice. It's America. It's your choice, kind of, I suppose, even though everything is run as by the same. As long as the government and corporations say it's okay. <laughs> Man, now you just like, I was like, as long as Apple and Google allow you to. Right. Um, because <laughs> they own everything. Um... But uh, but, you know, they also own us. Um, we are we we bend to their whims. So if you would be so kind as to help us out by subscribing to our pod, rating our pod or reviewing the pod, that would be amazing. Um, and of course, you can find us on our website, outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt dash creepers. Till next time, kitties, maybe think if it's wise to dig up skeletons in your familial closets. For every great story you'll find, there are bound to be a bunch that others will find to be a monumental waste of time. <laughs> <laughs>